All right, we're live. <laughs> Good Sunday evening, YouTube land. YouTube land. That is the name of the country that they will form. It will be YouTube land. Yeah, when Google like controls the world or whatever. Yeah. I'll have Sheetsville and Doxton. <laughs> well, this is uh, the With Thunderous Applause podcast, a podcast where two friends uh, with differing points of view discuss current events and other issues of import. Um, I am Steve. This is Zach. And today we are talking about fascism, specifically fascism in America. So we're going to talk a little bit about what is fascism and what are the signs that the system is becoming more fascistic. Um, and then we're going to discuss uh, some reasons uh, that's happening um, or rather reasons or ways that it, it manifests itself and in ways that it's, we can watch it in real time develop. <laughs> um, this is a very personal issue for both of us. Uh, it might be a personal, it's probably a personal issue for a lot of people who oh, yes. consider themselves left of center. Right. Yep. Um, and so that's what we're talking about today. First to check in. Yes. How you doing, bud? Doing good. Uh, they, they got the guy, the new guy coming in at work on Tuesday. They told me Monday, but you know, they lie all the time. Uh, and then my wife pointed out that uh, <laughs> the next week after that is uh, spring break for my daughter. And I was going to take that off. And so I will not be doing two weeks helping this new guy. So I got to let them know on Monday, like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I thought spring break was more towards the middle of the week. But uh, I'll do what I can in four days. You know, should be OK. It's not a hard job. It's mostly just like getting them set up and being like, here's all the places to go and the links and everything. And just use what I have made for you and be great. <laughs> awesome. Everything's going fine here. Got some yard work done uh, last couple days. Getting crushed by school. Mm -hmm. I saw red. Like I've been in therapy for a long fucking time, like two and a half years now. And like have really come to a new place, I think. Mm. And then I saw red for the first time the other day. And I'm not going to go into super details, but it was related to accounting homework. And oh, God. I was, I was like, literally, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I was like, Pfft. anyway, um, but I got over that class a little while. What's up? <laughs> I said at home in the classroom. Oh, no, no, no. I don't. Um, it's it's offered it online. Okay. So, yeah. And it was just a quiz. Like, I wasn't interacting with anybody. I was oh, just, okay. I'm, I'm going to uh, reach out to the professor and have a conversation with him and ask that he give us a warning that we're walking into a quiz that will take us an hour and a half when every quiz before now has taken less than 20 minutes. Ah. So I went in at 1030 like tired not really into it i'm just like ah, i did all i did the reading i did all the assignments earlier in the week it's just a quiz i'll hash it out if i get an 80 percent or above i'm good mm -hmm. and then i got in it and it was like oh no you like sure. it's due at midnight and you have less than the time i've allotted to you because you mm -hmm. in so late all the quizzes i've taken um before had been 20 minutes or less right. for me so I didn't anticipate needing an hour and a half and that that just like 
it was a fucking spiral. Because <laughs> there was no no warning whatsoever. Yeah, People yeah. Here to listen to me, bitch, about that. No, They're we're gonna here. bitch about fascism instead. Yeah, we're gonna talk about fascism, which is hitting closer and closer to home. Unfortunately, um, uh, it hit me home a while back, or at least yeah. you know aspects of it, anyways. But we'll just yeah, it's been developing for a long time. We can talk about it more um, as, in the context of some of these clips we got. Yeah. Did you have a thought? Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, no. Just, you know, we'll get to it. It's there. It's there. I've got a clip for it. <laughs> There's a clip for that. There's Go ahead. <laughs> Roll that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> Let's get to our first one. We forget that many fascist regimes started off as democratic political parties. We forget that Hitler, the Nazi party, ran in an election. Fascist parties start as fascist social and political movements before they come to power. So it's important to see that these tactics occur even in societies that do not have a fascist regime. All nationalism involves a mythic past. So you can say, look, we're Polish people, people who spoke Polish and were sheep herders and another bunch of Polish people who were fishermen. You can talk about how things were wonderful when we were all Polish together. That's a fine mythic past, but then there's the fascist mythic past. In the past, we were great. Wherein did our greatness consist? In our military. And in the past, the dominant racial group ruled over others. And then the fascist leader says, that has been taken from you by the leftists and communists. They want to weaken our military. They want to weaken our greatness. Propaganda is ubiquitous and everyone uses propaganda. In political propaganda, your main message is something other than the information you're conveying. Fascist propaganda is a very particular structure. It's based around a friend-enemy distinction. The political opponent, they are a merciless threat to your very existence and your traditions. They are the other. When they are in charge, it subverts the nation. So the structure, fascist propaganda, is based on the idea that the other are fundamentally opposed to the nation. As Hitler says in Mein Kampf, science is only useful insofar as it strengthens the nation. Fascism is a cult of the leader. It involves the leader setting the rules about what's true and false. So any kind of expertise, reality, all of that is a challenge to the authority of the leader. If science would help him, then he can say, okay, I'll use it. Institutions that teach multiple perspectives on history in all its complexity are always a threat to the fascist leader. The center of democracy is truth. You're not free if you've been lied to. Nobody thinks the people of North Korea are free. The people of North Korea will vote for dear leader every time because they've been lied to. It's not a free vote because they don't have access to the truth. Equality similarly requires truth because equality and democracy doesn't mean we all have the same amount of money. It doesn't mean we all have the same car. It means political equality that each of our voices matters the same. And political equality means speaking truth to power. If someone really powerful is humiliated when they're caught lying, that's the core of political equality. 
So if you're going to rip the heart out of democracy, you get people used to lies. Yeah. So I'll begin with taking issue with, I mean, this is made in the context of recent American political history. Um, but like, this is not, should not be construed to like, be like, oh, Donald Trump was a fascist. Because something they said, which I feel is really important to point out is, is the post-truth or the unreality, I think he called it. Mm -hmm. And then also this kind of idea that if another political faction is in charge, like they're betraying the country. Um, I maybe tongue in cheek um, had said I was deeply concerned about what I saw as the potential fascism within the democratic party um, which I wouldn't consider the left clearly. Um, but I saw, I see the inherent fascism in both political parties in the United States. Um, and that kind of idea that if the other person is in charge, then it's a betrayal of the country and its values, um, is deeply concerning, uh, because, ultimately like it doesn't really matter then who is in charge and ultimately if it's just two factions of of the bourgeoisie who are competing with each other within our political institutions then it doesn't really matter who is in charge um and then we're kind of stuck in this constant cycle of oh this election is illegitimate remember before january 6th there was russiagate and saying that russian hackers like somehow fucked up the election for someone who like I could tell immediately would not be elected just so despised in the public mind right. for myriad reasons right um but anyway those were a couple things I wanted to point out what were you thinking about that clip um I just like the fact that he was able to you know step through all the different uh you know requirements for fascism and you just start thinking about it and you're like oh goddamn yep they're all there you know and he goes on. I, I believe there's 10 total, and we only touched on the first four. But, um, yeah, yeah, the whole idea that, you know, uh, the, you know, without truth, your democracy's dead. And it's like, I mean, that's the case, and it's pretty much already dead. Cause, I would agree. You know, we haven't had truth. Uh, I believe, uh, oh, what's his name? Stephen Colbert, he, he, he did the word truthiness you know and that was like a decade ago it must have been as i watched it on tv and i haven't had cable in forever you know and and the idea that your truth is good enough you know like your truth is it, it is the truth <laughs> yeah and and what an absolute fucking hack that guy turned out to be uh you talk about steve colbert oh yeah i haven't watched any of the new stuff i mean again no cable so but it definitely seems like he was just selling out and using his his on-screen persona to a, a, appeal to both sides you know like i've i've read that there are you know if you're on the left you believe that he is a leftist who's portraying a right winger if you're on the right you, you just believe that's who he is <laughs> you know? and so everybody gets something and gets to feel happy about it 
Well, specifically more recently in the, in the light uh, or in the context of uh, the crisis in Europe, uh, mm -hmm. he said something to the effect of like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's our national duty. Speaking of fascism and this kind mm -hmm. of like nationalist undercurrent to it, yeah. it's our duty uh, to fight the Russians. They're the bad guy. And like, if we have to pay $50 at the pump, that's the sacrifice we as Americans need to make because no, thank you. And, and then he did, then the joke followed was like, if we have to pay $50, that's a sacrifice we have to make as Americans. And I drive a Tesla, which is just <laughs> so fucking tone deaf and elitist and smug. And I, I think there might be a clip in here that kind of goes into that. I think hedges clip towards the end will about this kind of incessant, desire of people that are in the center um the liberals or what i call shit libs mm -hmm. like I, a lot of people call them shit libs but he's just kind of like smug elitist assholes that kind of like are a caricature of a particular political ideology mm -hmm. and like you know like the south park sniff and farts thing you know um those people they're just um, smug over south park <laughs> always um but like th they're their failure to be able to communicate without being demeaning and condescending to people has created a real backlash. And I think Michael Moore did this kind of like, he did this tour during the 2016 election where he went, it was, I think it was called Trump land or something like that. Um, and I remember part of the lecture that he gave or presentation and he basically called it before the 2016 election. He's like, you're all like ridiculed and looked down upon and not taken care of. And like the factories have been shipped overseas and you're working, like working yourself to the bone just to barely get by. And meanwhile, all these people who have benefited from globalization and neoliberalism, like, you know, the tech sector and the finance sector, especially that's concentrated in the coasts um, are all looking down on you you've been stripped of your dignity and your ability to provide dignity for you and your family. And then everybody's just like condescending towards you. And, and Michael Moore said like, Donald Trump's going to be a big fuck you. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so there's an element of that to this as well. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he, he paid lip service towards that. And that was enough. You know, you just need to hear like, Hey, you're hardworking and Hey, we're going to bring your jobs back. And that's enough to get most people, on his side you know it didn't matter if there was not even a grain of truth to it or that he probably thought all the same things you know and that you know they should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps and you know get a small loan from their father or something like that and start a business you know it doesn't matter that's what he really thinks when he vocalizes something right. that's all that matters right and so in um, um jason stanley he's a professor at some fucking elite college whatever <laughs> he's a good historian he wrote a book on fascism that's the clip was appropriate and well done i thought so that's why good, i yeah. wanted to use that um but he kind of touches on that um uh i lost it <laughs> <laughs> oh the um the national the the make america great right okay and that's yeah. kind of why i cautioned against um just saying this is trump because like what was fucking biden's slogan in 2020 no idea back better oh yeah yeah or um restoring the soul of america remember his first campaign ad was fucking charlottesville being like mm. oh my god this like 
evil th- and don't get me wrong that shit's fucking scary as fuck and that's why we're talking about american fascism right now but like for the, the audacity of someone who like participated in creating the institutions uh, or institutionalized white supremacy through like the crime bill and shit like i mean white supremacy has been institutionalized but in more recent history like definitely contributing in a substantive way to the suppression of black and brown and poor communities across the country that was fucking joe biden right right? so he does this ad where he's like this is not who we are we need to restore the soul of america and i'm like there is not a lot of daylight between make america get great again and restore the you know restore the uh the soul of america you're still looking to some mythic past right which is a gigantic irony considering he was one of the people that like helped build the system that's oppressing us go ahead Sorry. well what was uh, what was it the omnibus crime bill uh, yeah it, uh, the, the pushed, uh, crime yeah, yeah yeah he, mm-hmm. he pushed through that basically made it so a ton of black and brown people were just going to go to jail with very little opportunity i mean wasn't that around the same time that um the or a, or a prison complex like really got going that's precisely why yeah it, and and neoliberalization which started you know uh really kind of kicked off on um the the reforms neoliberal reforms kicked off under um uh uh, tricky dick nixon Nixon. um and then but really like it was the no other alternative it was the thatcher reaganism um but yeah and and then the privatizing all that stuff and then the crime bill made the prison population fucking explode because they're like three strikes law and like all that tough on crime well, and then once and you've I, created the you know, prison complex, you have to keep people in prison. You can feed it. Yeah, you got to feed that. It's system. a machine that yeah. chews up bodies and then uses them as slave labor because that's the only way slavery can be legal in our country under our yeah. constitution. Yeah, hundred percent, especially in California where we use them to fight fires. A job that like is death. You know, is just basically like you know waiting to kill you. Like, yeah, um, the system. And I know we're talking about fascism and the joke I made when I, I mentioned like Democrats are probably going to be fascist. It was specifically Kamala Harris because of how big a sociopath she is. And one of the things that she said, you mentioned California prisoners, was mm-hmm. that like, oh, no, like as attorney general in California, she fought against releasing. Because remember the state Supreme Court a while back, I forget mm-hmm. the year, was basically like this is in violation of the Eighth Amendment of the, the federal constitution because yeah. like, this is cruel and unusual punishment to like have the prison gym be full of fucking bunk beds and crammed with people yeah. you have to find a way to reduce it it wasn't politically feasible to build new prisons like because they're a lot of money uh, oh, hundreds, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars so they're like well you have to find ways to to lessen the population um and kamala harris as attorney general was like no we don't want to do that she fought against people's fucking constitutional rights mm-hmm. yeah because not this great. thing uses prisoners as firefighters i mean there's there's actually an agency um i applied for a job there honestly oh, um, no. when i was looking for state jobs a while back after yeah. i got out of uh the military before i continued in the private sector with air traffic and um it's called like the bureau of prison something or other but basically it's or the prison industry authority but wow, it basically like, on the nose prison Prisons in California, actually, like a lot of the office supplies used by various state agencies are made in prison factories. Mm. Yeah, dude, it's fucked up, right? Um, but my point being is that, like, I guess to 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 tie it all together, is that like what 
what was the response to the fucking historic monumental uprisings after the George Floyd murder? And mm-hmm. it was the largest protests in, in national history. Um, you know, civil rights protests or whatever, like massive protests everywhere. People burning down fucking, you know, police stations and shit. It was fucking out of control. And also like, really inspiring in a lot of ways. I was going to say, it was pretty exciting when I started hearing about, you know, the right places getting burnt down. But I was all too often... Also, I agree. Yeah, you know my you know my point of view. All too often, when uh, you know when you have the riots and things like that, it is people who had nothing to do with it who suffer. You know, like you know, the poor business owner who's got a deli and suddenly his deli is in flames, and he's like, "I had nothing to do with this. In fact, I'm one of you. Like, what the hell, guys?" And so it was nice to hear, like, "Oh yeah, you know, they barricaded the police station, they set it on fire." And it's like, "Hey." That's effective. Congratulations. You're doing a good job. But was it? And that's the point I was getting to. They took Kamala Harris and stuck her. She offered nothing to the ticket because California was going to vote for Joe Biden no matter what. Yeah, that's true. So she offered nothing to the ticket, but they put her on there. Why? For the fucking law and order agenda. They literally, they're the response of the political elite to these uprisings was to put the author of the 94 crime bill and California's top cop who openly advocated to keep people in prison, to use them as free labor. That was, that was who they projected as the people to restore the soul of America. Well, and send parents to jail when their kids skipped school. Right. Because that's Mm -hmm. definitely going to help kids get back in school, take them away from their parents. Hey, I'm sure they'll do the system. Yeah. Yeah, We we can bitch about this for fucking ever. So let's move to the next clip and and we'll be inspired to say more things related (laughs) to today's topic. Absolutely. Bruce Grenzer is a former evangelical pastor turned atheist who lives in rural Ohio. He says that the spread of conspiracy theories like QAnon in the evangelical church has been a long time coming. There was this increasing uh, adoption of national, white nationalistic thinking, starting with you know Jerry Falwell and Paul Weirich back in the, I guess, the late 70s with the moral majority, for example. And, you know, so they birthed this baby that, you know, when Trump, uh, you know, it, it, it came of age. They realized that the way to power was through politics. I was in one church in Southeast Ohio for 11 years. I uh, preached a certain viewpoint. It was certainly a, you know, we were a Christian nation. Bruce preached fundamental evangelicalism and conservative values for almost three decades. But by the late 1990s, his religious and political beliefs had softened and eventually left him completely. But even though he moved away from the church, conspiracy theories still found a way to his family. None of them are evangelicals, except for my third oldest son. Great kid, but was very non-political his whole life. Never voted. And then in January of 2020, something changed. He has gone to a Southern Baptist church. He's told me that well, my pastor believes a lot of the same things I believe. He sees this otherworldly element working within the government now. When Biden got elected, all of a sudden, you know, Satan was sitting in the Oval Office. Do you feel like your son has been led astray? It's hard to sit by when someone espouses those things and there's really nothing you can do about it. 
that one hits home for me. Go ahead. I have a younger brother, much younger brother, 13 years younger, who uh, went from atheist, you know, teaching in the school system and everything to now he decided he was going to move to Florida because California was too liberal and he wanted to live in a red state. And so he got out of here and now he's like living, living in a compound with his, you know, his, uh, his wife's family and, uh, you know, just made life overall difficult. And you know, we've spoken about it and he, he went to, you know, Catholicism and, you know, I'm hard atheist and it's incredibly frustrating, you know, because if, if you try to talk sense to them, they just dig in their heels, you know? And so there's very little you can do. They got, they got into it themselves and you have to rely on them getting out of it you know, themselves because otherwise you're just going to you know, make them stick to their guns even harder. And like, that is kind of what is terrible about or uh, QAnon is like, I think not everyone obviously, but so many people have a story about how they stopped following someone on social media or, you know, you'll like, oh, my mom's posting this thing. She probably doesn't even realize it's QAnon, but she's posting it nonetheless. She's just like reposting from somewhere else. And it's just driving a wedge in between families and citizens and stuff like that, which just enables fascists to uh, get ahead by creating this us and them dynamic where it never would have existed. Yeah, man. Um yeah it's that's heavy man um and yet like almost entirely predictable right like, indeed yeah and so there's there's a religious element but that right like you know this and and um jason stanley talked about that at towards the end of the clip by the way we we're always going to put um everything that we show in the description some things um, we don't what's that and some things we don't show and some things we don't show other resources because you can't get to everything in the amount of time that we want to actually sit here and do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Jason Stanley talks about it towards the end. He talks about like Sodom and Gomorrah and then you hear a lot about that, especially, you know, like, Oh, these urban urban is just like a fucking dog whistle for black or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. um, or, or and, elite or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. And just de- decay like, Oh yeah. You know, this is the problem, right? Like, mm-hmm or it's immigrants or it's whoever else right there's always somebody um and with the evangelicals especially um it becomes very cultish and i think chris hedges talks about that quite a bit in sections we're not going to get to today but if you if someone watched that all the way through um about how uh fundamentalist religion or dominionist uh as i understand is probably a, a proper term which is this kind of like fire and brimstone version of like jesus was like an anarchist that was just like fuck it nothing matters like there's like you know he was a prophet right and to take a religion that was based around this kind of message of like live and let live you know the golden rule right or or huxley called it the huxley called it the perennial philosophy right like and so you have a religion that's based around this, like give to the poor, provide for them, you know, mm-hmm. hang out with the lepers and the hooker or the sorry, sex workers <laughs> um, and all that other stuff. Right. And then they took it and they made it this thing and they're using it to drive a wedge between families. Um, 
we I live in the North State. I'm sure you have. I mean, there's mega churches everywhere, but like everywhere. there's a particular mega church in um, Redding, California, called Bethel, which is like yes. like one of those mega churches you hear like Joel Olstein and shit like in Texas. Like mm-hmm. there's one here in Northern California. Do they like get all? They buy the city government. They get all sorts of preference. They were uh, a few years ago. They were giving like a huge grant. Because they're a tax-exempt organization, right? They're giving this big grant to the, the police department to buy, like, drones and surveillance stuff as a response to the George Floyd uprisings. And do you have this, like, relationship between church and state that we haven't had in a very long time? While without any sense of irony, they're saying, we are a Christian nation. We need to go back to our principles when of course, like everybody back then, it it was socially it was socially expected of you to be religious, and I think right. that there was a lot of intellectual stuff um, that was tied to religion, and a lot of really important like humanist concepts were developed from clergy, mm-hmm. right? Who were just thinking, and they were provided uh, the time and the resources to just think and to philosophize, and so like of course everybody was religious, but it's pretty explicit that the churches should not be buying military equipment <laughs> for the police to enforce the, their the ideas. Local yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't have anything like that that I've heard of in Fresno. We do have uh adventure church um, that, yeah, that has purchased, uh, or is trying to purchase a building that has historically been um, a venue for, uh, you know, events and for shows and there's a lot of debate around it. Are they even allowed to do so? And so, of course, people have been, you know, uh, doing uh, protests. And eventually, you know, you had people showing up, you know, from or on the church's side that were being agitators. And so the police had to show up. And in no time at all, you had the police just, you know, chit-chatting and you know, laughing it up with, you know, people from the Proud Boys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not a good look, you guys. But hey, at least we know what's up. And oh no, yeah, yeah absolutely. And actually, uh, Bethel Church did that in writing. My understanding is that they own the Civic Center. Yeah, um, which is yeah, like an event venue, basically. Yeah. Um, and it used to be a public venue, and then the church bought it, and so then the church rents it back to the city when the city wants to use it. Oh wow, so it makes no fucking sense. Yeah. But you know, um. And then they're not required. Like I, I found this out uh, talking to my buddy who does a radio show on uh, water issues in the North state. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on a public radio station here locally. And he was, I didn't know this, but like apparently the Mormon church would have been um, if they structured this new water district in a particular way, like the Mormon church would have been the majority vote on the water district because oh, they own oh. so much land. Yeah. And I mean, they're I only real estate disguised as religion. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I only have a bachelor's degree in history, so I'm not an expert. But, like, I'm pretty damn sure we fought, like, people, like, shed blood for, like, 150 years to get rid of churches owning all the good land. <laughs> That's what the, and part, partly what the Reformation was about, right? And, like, yeah, yeah. The, the emergence of Protestantism um, as a, a branch of Christianity was because the Catholic Church owned all the land. Yeah, but America um, is rife for that shit. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, we are so into freedom and stuff like that that if you have the money, 
you can purchase something. And so churches just stepped in with all the congregation's money and purchased up a whole bunch of land. Scientology is another one where they're basically a real estate company that is, you know, mass posing as a church. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, well, right. It's, and they don't, they don't, my understanding, I don't think churches have to even pay prop. Like there's an exemption I for churches. Don't believe property so. No, no. They, so their own, again, they own the city of Reading, which benefits from property taxes. It's like here, own this. So you don't have to pay property taxes. Then we'll rent it from you. Yeah. So we're yeah. going to, we're going to reduce our budget. And then we're going to start paying for something we didn't pay for before. I, and I ser- conservative government. Yeah. I seriously need to start my own branch of, you know, the church of the lady of perpetual exemption. So I can get all these exemptions as well. <laughs> John Oliver's a fucking shit lib too, man. But that shit. Was yeah. Really but it's still fucking funny. <laughs> we actually, uh, so I'm in a, um, a leftist organizer locally. Um, and it, it came up in conversation just kind of like as a, a joke, but like, Prompted at least like, you know, a couple like, hmm, could we do that? Because yeah. um, we're, we're talking about shifting our uh, away from a, being a member of a national organization. We're okay. a DSA chapter and we're thinking about getting rid of not being part of the DSA. And we're like, what can we do? And we're like, what about a what about a church? <laughs> <laughs> Legit, man. We're we're the we're the uh, church of helping we, people. I, I think mean, that's what you, we do. You know, you, you it's not something that i like but you could certainly utilize in america churches to get a lot done or you know utilize a real or feigned you know belief in in a church or an ideology in order to get a lot done and my daughter wants to get snake bites and she's not sure how my wife was saying like i'm not even sure that that's allowed at the school and i'm like don't worry we'll just say that we're part of the satanic temple and they preach bodily autonomy and so they can't say anything about it. They have to let her have it because it's part of her religious doctrine. <laughs> it's like sometimes you use what you got to use to get the things you need, you need or want. Yeah. And the, the satanic temple, you mentioned that like doing all sorts of stuff to like ensure that uh, women have access to uh, reproductive health care <laughs> and all those other stuff. They're like, no, if, if you can say that you can deny it because of your religion, we're saying that you have to provide it because of ours. It is a deeply held belief. And yeah, and there's nothing wrong with like, I mean, you know, there's, we don't, we're not going to talk about churches right now, but like, yeah. there's nothing wrong uh, with using the corporate structure of a church and the tax implications, et cetera, and so forth to advance, you know, leftist causes, like yeah. to provide, you know, women's health care. Or I mean, it has to be connected to an ideology. And if your ideology is secular humanism, that's right. still an ideology. It is. Right? Yeah. Like, um, so anyway, I'll, on this subject, uh, um, books have been written about Christian fascism, and also remember the the revival of evangelicalism um, happened concurrently with the neoliberalization and the globalization that was experienced across the eighties. Right, mm-hmm. um, that's really when you started to get like Seven Hundred Club and like all of these organizations, um, uh, religious organizations founded in like uh, uh, Colorado. Uh, Colorado Springs so like um you have like focus on the family and all of these like really large very wealthy organizations that can take corporate money and it's it's tax exempt and they do all the stuff and really became a, a political powerhouse but religion is only part of it because we do have uh friends who we'd consider atheists mm-hmm. or at least agnostic and they don't really care about religion yeah um, who funny. also fell down this rabbit hole my i mean my parent my mother is like i i would say she kind of comes from like an evangelical background 
but she hasn't been really preachy and she doesn't go to church. And a lot of that is just because like, once you've been around churches long enough, you realize everybody's full of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but she's still a devout, devoutly religious woman, but she's not involved in like the social aspect of the evangelicalism yeah. yet. She's still through a winding path wound up essentially in the same place. Right. Yeah. And that's actually our next clip. Oh, is this a mega, mega church? In, well, not, not mega. It's pretty big. 1200 members in Tennessee. Uh, but yeah, uh, you hinted a lot of things that are in the next clip. So I, am, I, give it I did not know this clip was coming up. I you, should. You were that. prophetic. You were prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> Let's give it a watch. All right. Thanks, bud. Ludicrousness aside, the genius and insidiousness of Q is that anyone can be a part of it, and you don't even need to call yourself a believer. People can regurgitate Q tropes until the cows come home while still claiming with a straight face that they have no idea what QAnon is. Even Trump did that. Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, which I appreciate. He's talking about Joe Biden. He's talking about Pelosi. Now, he says he's not QAnon. Well, you know, if it walks like a duck, then it walks like a duck, then... People call me a QAnon conspiracy. I ain't no Q, okay? I'm not in all that nonsense. I'm a truth seeker and a truth teller. And I'm very calculated with what I say. And so I'm very aware, very self-aware. I don't say things that I couldn't fight for if they sued me. I say things that I have verifiable evidence or eyewitness testimony or pictures or a background and a narrative to. I'm a little smarter than a lot of people give me credit for. So you have evidence of, of Biden being a pedophile and Kamala Harris being I can promise you that I say it from that platform, just like when I said Tom Hanks is a pedophile, it does not matter to me if people say Tom Hanks is going to sue you. I wish he would. Why don't you show us the evidence? I don't have to show you the evidence. I will when time comes. So you must also know that this is exactly what QAnon says as well, right? Uh, it doesn't matter to me what QAnon says. Everybody wants to paint you in a corner and say that you're a conspiracy theorist. The problem is the only difference between truth and conspiracy lately has been about six weeks. Uh, yeah, but he's not wrong, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Please, go. I was going to say it's he's he's just it, – it's the idea that, you know, I'll, I'll – your truth doesn't matter. You know, you just just wait a while. And, you know, eventually, if you say enough things, the, the, you might eventually be, you know, right. And then you can look back and point and be like, look, I said that. It's true. And like, but at the same time, nothing will ever prove you wrong. And so you're just always right. Yeah. So it's interesting, too, because a lot of these right wing figures like criticize postmodernism. And I'm not an expert on that either. But my understanding it is that like you know, truth is, is largely subjective kind of thing, right? Like, and there's a lot of validity to truth being subjective, right? Because we all experience the world differently. Um, But there is also like, and I always say this, there's always a little bit of truth behind the conspiracy, right? Like, when they were talking like Pizzagate and all that stuff, and I don't know all the details of what exactly they were proposing, but like, I mean, that's a stand in for an unaccountable, unbordered 
global elite, a transnational global elite. And sure as hell, when they're like, oh, these elites um, are engaged in this, like, of course they are, because the law does not apply to you if you're fucking wealthy, mm -hmm. right? And so you have a whole fucking island with, like, some of the, the, the most powerful people in the world all going to be pedophiles. And it wasn't it was Donald Trump. It was Bill Clinton. It was Bill Gates. You now, now after the fact, find out that had something to do with him and his wife breaking up. Oh. Like, yeah, I mean, in, you, she was, I mean, I'm not positive on all the details of that, but like she was in an interview and like, was like, yeah, I was aware of it. And that's about the time we like split up or whatever, that he was hanging out with Epstein and he swears to God, he didn't like, you know, go to the Island or anything, but just by being chummy with him, like was already suspect. Right. Like, yeah, it was the, gross the, to her. Yeah, at the point all these people are with him, he had already done jail time for sex trafficking. Ah, so yeah, it's, it's not like, and, and of course he didn't kill himself, right? Like, was was he an agent, a Mossad agent that was basically like had this whole like uh, sex trafficking ring to like blackmail important people? Potentially, we'll never know because they took him out before he had a chance to squeal, right? Like. But even the court system, like with the Jelaine Maxwell, his number two in command is a, a groomer or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, did even the courts are like, eh, we're not going to release this stuff to the public. Mm -hmm. But why? And so that first clip, Jason Stanley, towards the end, he, ta he talks about that untruth and the curating of information and how the media lot. And it's like, it's not just the media, it's the court system, it's, it's the whole thing all the way through is that like, the very wealthy are protected. And what scares me about this is that they take that anxiety, that, that resentment, um, that anger that like they're struggling to just like make ends meet. But yet here's this class of people who can avoid their taxes if they want. Or in fact, they can not only not pay taxes, they can get money from the government right. just for having the right tax attorney. Right. Like, right. Right. And they're looking at that and being like, fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that there's something wrong with this, but then they get brought into this stuff where it's twisted, where it's like, it's the Democrats. Oh, they're socialists. Joe Biden is a communist. I fucking wish Joe Biden was a communist. Like, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Mike. But there's it's no the things I want. Yeah. You don't need, it doesn't need to be factual because now information, especially with the internet, but like you can find something that tells you exactly what you want to hear. Oh, absolutely. Um, That's that. I, I, that's the beauty and the hideousness of the internet is that all the information you could ever want is there, whether it's hundred percent factual or not. And, you know, you can, you can, there are certain core truths, uh, you know, either someone is or is not a pedophile, but there is no in between. You just need to figure that out. And, you know, it, it, if they're not, they're not, Hey, you know, that it, it, it can be debated, but you know, once you got proof, like, that's the truth. And so uh, the whole post-truth thing is just so damn dangerous uh, and bothersome, you know, that people are just like, oh, yeah, you know, all facts are fine, you know, my truth is my truth. And yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. As as someone who really likes science, I'm just like, no, there's there's there's, there's things that are you know, provable. That's why we that's why we do this. <laughs> Yes, there is, but also like 
research agendas are affected by corporate money. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the scientific method is a good method to try and maintain as much objectivity as possible. And the, yeah. you know, you're regularly, if you're right, doing a scientific report and you find anomalies, you're supposed to try and be like, we need to do more research because we don't know. And that I think is the more important thing is to just like recognize that like, we don't know. We, we don't know everything. We can't know everything. Mm -hmm. But like as a storytelling species, I think I might have brought this up last week. Um, or maybe I was just talking to my therapist about it. But like we're a storytelling species, right? We had creation myths and all this stuff. Like we communicate orally like most, you know, old religions and, and old ethics um, all come passed down from an oral tradition through standing around the fire and telling fables and stuff, right? And so we're like wired to have stories that are easy to understand saying mm -hmm. there's a global pedophile ring that wants to take your children. It's compelling. It, it's an expression of an anxiety. It, it, all it is is a story that like makes sense of an anxiety. You feel that you can't explain, which might be like, my children have no future because of climate change, because this economy just fucking chews people up and spits it out when it doesn't need them. Like, and so these anxieties you feel about your children's future are then just mm. projected on, um, on something completely different. And like human psychology is beyond the scope of, of this podcast, but like there For are me. elements of all of this involved. Does that make sense? Or at least in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. Um, and what it is is so often it's hard to voice what it is that you're worried about because you just have a gut feeling that you know you uh, for example you need to be worried about your children and but you know you're so busy with work and and you know getting you know, food on the table that you don't have the time to reflect on it and really discover what it is you're worried about and so when someone charismatic like this you know preacher you know distills it down and screams it in your face of course it's really easy to believe it because you know, he'll tell it to you again and again, week after week. And I think the really insidious part of it, or, or a part of it is that he gets to do that at a church and he involves public figures who are politicians. And so it is by default political speech at a church that is tax exempted. Yes. And that is harmful to everyone. And that guy needs to start paying taxes on his church money. You know, I'm a big fan of just having churches pay taxes. Uh, it, yeah. In general, I think it solves a lot of problems. If, I, yeah. If I don't understand other, why it's still a thing. Yeah. I mean, they're just, especially if they're allowed to own lands, like yeah. corporations are not people. Churches are not people. And certainly if you're not paying taxes, you're not a fucking person. Yeah. Because <laughs> we all pay taxes. Definitely not um, <laughs> Anyway, yeah, there's this. There's so much to this. Um, this is the Hedges clip. Uh, let's finish up yeah. on the religion stuff because he more talks about. Well, we'll get to the clip. But like, a, yeah. I think that also like the right wing brain is like wired for like authoritarianism, and I think there's actually research that backs that up. I don't have mm -hmm. access to it now, but I recall hearing it in some kind of like I watch a lot of like book TV. Believe it or not, it's like a really great place for interesting mm -hmm. information because you could just listen to someone like at politics and pros in DC, like talking about like the book they wrote and like all the stuff in it. Mm. Um, but anyway, I think it was a book TV or something or a lecture or something I watched online, but 
Um, basically, like the the right wing brain is is wired for authoritarianism, and I think uh, I said this to someone recently, but like I think that's why the left is so crippled um, because like lib liberalism, like capital L liberalism, um, this kind of idea that like uh, secular humanist cosmopolitan like uh, enlightened intellectual whatever um, that is like. That is, is, it's built around asking questions and not being sure and stating things in a kind of reserved way. Like, well, there's this, 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 and this, but, yeah. right, there are these other confounding variables that, like, do not allow us to say with absolute certainty. Whereas, like, the authoritarian will be like, this is what's happening. Absolutely. And truth. I don't need to provide you the evidence. Right, right. I will provide the evidence if I'm required to by law like by getting subpoenaed or like within a court right like yeah but otherwise like i don't need to show you facts like but they state it with such um not to use, overuse a word but authority they, they state right. it with confidence too like they just say something that's not true but they say it like it is true and then they convince themselves and convince others that it is worse than that though is that you know it's bullshit and it takes 10 times as much effort to debunk bullshit as it does to put it out into the world. And so you could spend your entire life trying to do or, 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 or trying to debunk like the smallest bit of bullshit. And so basically by being allowed to just state things that aren't true and then apologize later on, if someone calls you out on it or whatever, not holding their feet to the fire, we basically created a political system where you just say whatever you want. And then the people that hear it at that point are going to believe it. And since it's, it'll probably get said again on the news and they'll hear it on, on social media, maybe from, you know, their friends or whatever. And then it's true. And anyone who says otherwise is the bad guy, you know, Satan incarnate. I, <laughs> I didn't show it in the clip, but he goes on and just says that, you know, all the people on the left, if you're on the left, you're, you know, on Satan's side and all that stuff. And so it's just very much, um, very much that you just say it over and over again and it's quote true. And yeah. Uncle. And I mean, yeah. And that's, that's a big problem, but you know, I, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's hard. And like, you, there's too many examples, like if they're very, very close to home, <laughs> yeah. what's that? I said, can you make lying a crime? <laughs> yeah. And on, on the lying thing, though, is that like that the problem is, is that official narrative sources lie all the time, too. Yeah. And so we're stuck in this spot where like the truth is fuzzy. Mm -hmm. But if you say, well, the truth is fuzzy, that's not satisfying to people right, who are right. looking for an answer. Well, and, and yeah, go ahead. Like you were, oh, like you were saying about, you know, the uh, narrative brain and the storytelling, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a storytelling aspect you're absolutely right that we would much rather hear something that is solid and something that is coherent than you know oh well this could be true but we need to do more research <laughs> nice cup <laughs> that was uh, yeah. you know uh you know our, our, nobody wants to hear you know wishy-washy speech about how things are and then of course when someone says something and then they backtrack and they're like well further research has shown this and it's like oh so you were wrong it's like well yeah i was wrong that's 
what life is like 90% of our life is about is being wrong about things and then advancing, figuring it out and then moving on with this new knowledge. And it's like, that is where the right wing brain to me is also anti-scientific, anti-intellectual because they yeah, want. Mason Stanley talks about anti-intellectualism yeah, in that clip. Yeah. Yeah. They want a truth and they don't care if it's, if it's like actually factual <laughs> or holds up to, you know, a, a, a rigorous investigation. They just want it because otherwise, well, you're a wishy-washy person. You backtrack all the time. It's like, well, there's new facts. And so I took that into account. No, no I don't want to hear that. Yeah, well, anti-intellectualism is like, we've been hearing this forever, right? Like it's uh, before Trump, long before Trump. And my entire memory is like, oh, all the colleges do is like brainwash people like into like socialism or communism. And I'm like, dude, half of my fucking professors are like, like right, like right yeah. wingers. Like there are caricatures. I have seen professors. Some of them are really rad. And some of them are kind of mediocre, but I've seen caricatures of like what they're talking about. But like, yeah, if you're in a gender studies department, dude, but if you're in the economics department, all of oh, them are yeah. fucking right wingers because not one of them is going to tell you the truth about the fucking system. My accounting teacher is just going to tell you to fucking do the math and like, this is normal. You just exploit people and make money as long as the numbers on the piece of paper are okay, then everything's hunky dory, right? Like, and they don't challenge that. Nobody challenges that the private property is an institution which hasn't mm -hmm. existed for most of human existence. Like we've been a species for what, 200,000 years? We've had private property in parts of the world for 8,000, 10,000 years. And we've mm -hmm. had fucking private property in most every part of the world just for the last 200 years. Well, and it just became, you know what I mean? Like, but then it's it just taken as a fact. Well, yeah, it became yeah, a part of the dominant, uh, you know, way of thinking. And of course the dominant way of thinking bred itself out into the world. And it just, again, became fact, you know, it doesn't yeah. like, that's all it takes is just enough people saying it over and over again that, you know, Oh, there's this thing called private property and you have to have it. Otherwise you're a savage, you know, and I'll, I'll be like, I don't want to be a savage. Oh, well, okay. Okay. Private property. It's like, oh, you can't have any. Well, that seems unfair, but I'll find a way to earn it. Okay, good. You know, it's. Yeah. And yeah. that's, what's fucking remarkable about this right wing movement is they've taken bourgeois po politics and objectives of maintaining the system. And so you have people who rent apartments whose rent keeps going up year after fucking year and they're at the city council chambers you're not at the city council chambers no, that's true. these people i'm talking about are at the city council chambers talking about how they they need this city needs to spend more money on police to get rid of fucking homeless people oh. and it's like you're being crushed by housing prices too that's very real yeah but they're convinced but i have my dignity i pay my rent and it's like well wouldn't you like to just be able to like pay your rent and have money for other things instead of paying 60% of your income on your rent. They don't even fucking question it. Cause they're so fucking angry <laughs> that they saw a homeless person pissing behind a dumpster when the city doesn't provide fucking toilets. Yeah. Homelessness in America has just become this thing. It's like it, all around the world. Is, neoliberalism is. Yeah. It's it is a whip. Right, go ahead. It's basically a whip in order to keep you in line, you know, like, and the thing is, I don't think a lot of people think about it. You know, they don't actually, get it into their head and rationalize it, you know, that you do what you do because you don't want to be homeless. You want to be like one step better than homeless and you're okay with that. And it's like, 
if your boss says, I can't pay you this week, you might be homeless. If you, you know, we're counting on some overtime and you don't get it, you might be homeless. Like most of us are just a, a, a tiny bit away from homelessness. And it is like a subconscious terror that I don't think most people ever fully like manifest inside their head and are able to express. And so, yeah, like that is just uh, people that are poor fighting against their own best interest is really frustrating. So yeah, there, that kind of brings up this kind of like the strong man part of fascism. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you see a lot. So that anxiety we're talking about, like, well, shit, like my life is really hard and I could wind up homeless. Mm -hmm. It makes you hate the homeless because someone comes along and without you being able, you're, you refuse to look at the actual data and facts, or even just have a fucking conversation with an unhoused person, mm -hmm. right? Like, and they're just like, no, these people are lazy. These mm -hmm. people are other, they're dirty. They're drug addicts. They're addicts. And there are a lot of addicts, sure. Mm -hmm. But like, there's also a lot of like really mentally ill people. They're yeah. the people that can't keep it together enough to pay the 60% of their income. Oh right. yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, there's there's a woman outside of the store that I go to frequently, and you know, she's just like, I would just like a chocolate bar, please, you know, <laughs> something to keep me going for the day, and like, she can't like keep a normal job because her appearance, basically. And again, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, she doesn't want to, you know, give away all the all the money and stuff, and it's like, sweet lady, you know, like, I, let's. I, I wish she could get a better or a more help, but you know, we seem unwilling. Yeah, let's 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 actually do a whole a whole thing on homelessness because I have a whole I was a, as a advocate locally for that issue around that issue um, uh, for a number of years. Like, I have a lot to say on that, um, but I, I more or less wanted to draw attention to like how that anxiety is then turned mm -hmm. into Control. outward hate yeah. for someone else because someone that benefits from it, the landlords, the business owners, right? they benefit from not having homeless people around like the landlords benefit from raising the rents and the business owners mm -hmm. like are then like, Oh God. So even with the homelessness issue, you see this compete, uh, this competition between two factions of the ruling class, mm -hmm. the landowners and the business owners, right. which aren't always the same people, especially mm -hmm. in a city where like, you know, one building can have 10 businesses or whatever. Right. Right. And so you have this competing economic interest among elites Everybody else is just like, well, this is normal. The school system tells us it's normal. The media tells us this is normal. And what the fa what fascism does too is, as Jason Stanley, and I think even this guy mentioned it, like who is the first victim of fascism? Uh, the least amongst us. <laughs> not even. No. Mm, no. Before, before they could round up the gypsies uh, to the homelessness point, right? Mm. Like they were viewed as lazy <laughs> or whatever, even though their whole culture was just kind of like, uh, not to, I don't like the word transient, a nomadic or mm -hmm. um, unanchored, maybe it'd be a good term uh, yeah. for the Roma. But like, you know, they were targeted. But before you can target vulnerable groups, you have to clear the ideological space for that to be acceptable, mm -hmm. which means you kill socialists and communists and anarchists. Yeah. Um, which is just, you know, it's scary for me and many of my friends too. There's definitely some that when we do public events, like they just, they won't participate because they have so much anxiety about us just getting rolled on by a bunch of like, you know, tough, you know, 
middle-aged white guys that want to pick a fight because communists are evil a priori yeah, or whatever. Yeah. like so um, anyway that, i mean you get you get people talking about like oh yeah yeah we should round up all the russians all the chinese and kill them because they're all communists and it's like that is no like good god is that your actual belief i sure hope not but it very well could be. I mean, that's what people, right-wingers locally said about the homeless. It's like, let's yeah. uh, round them up and literally, like, let's ship them into this, like, camp over there. And then at that camp, they can work on pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and go through our program, which <laughs> always has a fucking religious component. Oh, absolutely. And get them indoctrinated and then back on. I did want to move to this last clip because yes. it's seven and I'm hungry and <laughs> uh, which, is rad. But Which of the four clips did you want to do? Um, well, they're all good. The last one is probably the most important. Let's okay. play the last two. Okay. So the context of this is a lecture on his book, uh, American Fascists. I believe it's on that book. Um, or it might just be a broad lecture generally because he talks on a lot of subjects in here. But mm. what, and we might not get to it here, but uh, to summarize the, the the thesis, I guess, that he, or the argument he's making is that like, explicitly like american imperial decline has created conditions for this mm -hmm. we've already discussed a lot of that right like right this kind of sense of, yeah the sense of unrootedness like the the narrative that we were convinced our entire lives growing up through the school system through the popular media etc so forth like that narrative no longer explains what is clearly observable with our own eyes in the world right like the the whole meritocracy bs and we were talking about the american dream last week mm -hmm. um and concepts of work but like none of that none of that go to college and you'll get a good job right and that didn't pan out that didn't pan out for a bunch of fucking <laughs> people and like that might have been true in the 1950s or whatever when grandpa got out of world war ii or whatnot but like that's not that's not the reality now and you can't expect to have a job because the economy is changing so fast and i think that also happened in the 80s so we just see all these things coming together around that time globalization the, the rapidity of change mm -hmm. like human beings are inherently conservative like in the sense that like what works for us to procure like our metabolic needs mm -hmm. if that works for us to feed ourselves and regulate our body temperature and, and reproduce as organisms right like our prime objective as an organism if that system works then we'll continue to use that system mm -hmm. and the problem is is that system is no longer delivering for more and more and more people right like yeah. half half the country is fucking broke right like and so since that system is no longer work working you now have kind of a backlash to the people it's working for which is how you get the rural urban interior coast split in the united states and all these other social factors the culture wars so to speak is really just resentment towards those succeeding in a system that is fundamentally different than what it was 30 years ago well, yeah, I remember uh, when my dad was getting into the workplace, uh, it was, hey, you know, we need you to have a high school degree because those were rare. And then those became common. And so they moved the goalposts and they said, now you need a college degree, at least a two year college degree. You know, and then those uh, became common Four year. Those became common. Now you got to have a Ph.D. to work at McDonald's. You know, uh, it's, it, it's all that sort of stuff. Um, let's get to that clip, though, because your camera is breaking up. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah, yeah, you're in the red right now. 
It's all right, though. The expansion of empire beyond the capacity of the homeland to sustain the maintenance and costs of empire makes the system vulnerable, especially during a financial crisis. States that do not administer empires are able to devote more of their resources to domestic prosperity and basic security. But empires have no such option. And when revenues shrink, empires fracture and disintegrate. Without the financing that arises almost organically inside a sovereign nation, empires are famously predatory in their relentless hunt for plunder or profit. Witness the Atlantic slave trade, Belgium's rubber lust in the Congo, British India's opium commerce, the Third Reich's rape of Europe, or the Soviet exploitation of Eastern Europe, McCoy writes. So delicate is their ecology of power that when things start to go truly wrong, empires regularly unravel with unholy speed. Just a year for Portugal, two years for the Soviet Union, eight years for France, 11 years for the Ottomans, 17 for Great Britain, and in all likelihood just 27 years for the United States, counting from the crucial year 2003. The loss of the dollar as the global reserve currency will instantly make it impossible for the United States to pay for its huge deficits by selling depressed treasury bonds. There will be a massive rise in the cost of imports. Unemployment will explode. Domestic clashes over what McCoy calls insubstantial issues will fuel a dangerous hypernationalism that could morph into an American fascism. The nihilism and rage sweeping across the globe are not generated by warped ideologies or medieval religious beliefs. These destructive forces have their roots in the obliterating of social, cultural, and religious traditions by modernization and the consumer society. The disastrous attempts by the United States to carry out regime change, often through coups and wars, and the utopian neoliberal ideology that has concentrated wealth in the hands of a tiny cabal of corrupt global oligarchs. The rage is directed at discredited elites. Hello. <laughs> Can't hear you. You got on mute. Appreciate you. There you go. <laughs> What I'm here. No, he's just such a fucking powerful speaker, man. Like, and it's just like I've been in this like collapse, Nick, like reality for like since I ever, <laughs> since I ever like Collab I read uh, what's that collapse, Nick. <laughs> That's what we call ourselves. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, I fell down the rabbit hole that was like, um, 2011. I got a copy of James Howard Kunstler's The Geography of Nowhere. Uh, which is about suburbia. I mm. got that from the free library at Occupy K Street in Washington, D.C. I spent a week down there with them. Um, pretty radical experience. Also, yeah, complicated. Um, anyway, like, you know, I kind of like came to this realization that the empire was collapsing. He mentioned the petrodollar. We still have yet to do a show on oil, but like people don't fucking understand that. And like what that means. Like none, I mean, we're, all there's this like entire like subtext 
of imperial overreach and ecological overshoot that's like causing the system to break down in in many predictive ways but also unpredictive ways right like or unpredictable sorry some predictable some unpredictable um but like there's this whole uh you know, this anxiety that's built around that. We were talking about it before the clip. And of course, I've, I've actually watched this particular lecture like three times. This was my third time going through it to, to uh, put some stamps, time stamps on it. Yeah. But like, so I'm very familiar with it. Um, but like, there's just like this massive anxiety and no one really understands the subtext. They brought that up at a meeting the other day. I mentioned the DSA's having conversation about leaving um, national chapter um, our local is, and uh, this is what I, this is what I brought to the group. This is what I offered was like, you know, I think that it's important to build an institution that's, that's focused on preparing for and lessening the blow of this, because I don't think people understand they're just starting to feel it right. When gasoline hits 200 fucking bucks a barrel, like when oil reaches 200 bucks a barrel and gasoline is $12, you know, 12 bucks a gallon, mm-hmm. like, People will go hungry because we've built an environment that requires non-renewable resources to fucking function. Absolutely. And so like no one that like you hear all this shit and every time it's like, oh, look at all these brave Disney protesters that are out protesting Disney, giving money to these bigoted politicians in Florida. And I'm like, that's fucking cool. But do you realize that that's, part of the fucking propaganda machine you're being told that this is important because Mm -hmm. this is what they're showing you and it is it important sure it's important that people want to stand up for their fucking lgbtqia allies right that that is inspiring and it is important and that is a vulnerable group that deserves you know our attention and our protection but like where is the context of like the fact that the reason Disney gives to those politicians, because Disney is a very, very, very substantial um, landlord in the state of Florida. (laughs) Right. So, okay. Now Disney has to walk back and be like, we don't agree with their politics on this, but Disney doesn't give a fuck what their politics are on that. Disney cares that they're not going to pay as much in taxes. Right. And, but we create these distractions, especially around identity politics and the culture wars that completely obfuscates the, the, the economic like pressure the crushing economic anxiety in this country that economic anxiety that's at its heart is due to ecological overshoot and the collapse of an empire we've been used to it and this is why i always harp on boomers and shit it's because like you literally don't know your entire existence was the golden age of right. the united states like you don't feel the same pressure because you're looking at your watch being like i'm gonna kick the fucking can in the next like five maybe eight years or whatever like so you don't really fucking care you're just here to write out you know write it out and all of us are looking at like half like i have maybe not maybe not 30 years yeah yeah Yeah, i have maybe 25 30 years left in me Mm -hmm. um but uh you know and then even my children who have like their entire lives essentially both of them are under 10 like yeah what world are they inheriting? Like, it's really fucking the the rage is palpable, I guess, is what I was getting at. Well, it's so much closer to home, you know, the younger you are, like, Mm -hmm. because you are going to go through it, you are going to see this. And I don't, I don't know, 
why it's so hard for you know people who are closer to death to like take a step back and think about someone other than themselves for a moment. And, yeah, like it's, it's kind of greedy. Well, you know, and it's I don't want to say it's I mean, there's a lot of selfless people or less selfish people, mm-hmm. but like it doesn't matter because like you're it's it's just the reality of your demographic. You didn't choose to be born in 1948 or 1952 or whatever. Yeah, you didn't choose to grow up with the imperial wealth pump in full, you know, full bore um, and, you know, abundant cheap oil to fuel like a fucking bonanza of consumption that is like turned large parts of the like living planet into a fucking wasteland. Like, you know, I mean, you didn't choose to be around in that time and the cultural norms were all about it. Right. Keeping up with the Joneses, like Mm -hmm. looking over your fence, the little black and white, you know, like leave it to beaver bullshit. Yeah. Oh, you know, the Smiths got a new lawnmower. We should go, go down to the department store and buy ourselves a new lawnmower too. Yeah, so we can no at each other over the fence while we mow our fucking lawns that do no good. Yeah, what? And with no thought to the fact that your current one works just fine. You know, did you really need that? Why do you have all this grass? You know, is it so your kids can play on it? No, your dogs poop on that grass. You're probably not even letting your kids play on it. Yeah, we've complained about grass on this pod. This will be the, the yeah. We hate we hate lawns podcast. <laughs> I think we also talked about like. Uh, in planned obsolescence, not really planned obsolescence, but like the, I think we mentioned the the cash for clunkers, right? How we did, yes, yeah, it, it's same thing, right? It, yeah. um tastes, right? Like you, I mean the the whole Madison uh, Madison Fifth Avenue, whatever, like this movement or whatever in advertising, right? Like where they're yeah. like, oh, this was even pre. I think this was like in the nineteen teens or mm-hmm. so capitalist industrial capitalist production was very very efficient and so mm-hmm. they always had a problem of producing more than people can buy mm-hmm. so how do you get around that you fucking propagandize people convince and i see ads still to this day where it's like you know like oh you don't know the way you feel that it like you should have uh, bluebell cheese wheels or whatever you know like jesus christ like it's yeah, gonna fill an emptiness in your life Oh, Yo, that's that is a fine point. Yeah, yeah. The ever, ever moving, you know, uh, goalpost again for our happiness based upon you know what brand it is you're consuming. For real. <laughs> or if you have the newest one, do you have an iPhone 13? If not, you're a loser. You're a loser. You want to play your the wife, second half of this? Your wife's gonna leave. <laughs> right on. Let's do it. She likes new iPhones. You. She does. Yours is old. She needs 16 you know, megapixels. <laughs> the wretched of the earth, as Franz Fanon called them, have been shorn of any ideological or cultural cohesion. They are cut off from their past. They live in crushing poverty, numbing alienation, hopelessness, and often terror. Mass culture feeds them the tawdry, the violent, the salacious, and the ridiculous. And they are rising up against the forces of modernization, driven by an atavistic fury to destroy the technocratic world that condemns them. This rage is expressed in many forms. Hindu nationalism, proto-fascism, jihadism, the Christian right, anarchic violence, 
and other beliefs. But the various forms of resistance spring from the same deep wells of global despair. And this resentment is fueling a virulent nationalism, xenophobia, chauvinism, and violence, poisoning the civil discourse and fueling an assault on basic civil liberties. Yet Western elites, rather than accept their responsibility for the global anarchy, self-servingly define the clash as one between the values of the enlightened West and medieval barbarians. They see in the extreme nationalists, religious fundamentalists, and jihadists an inchoate and inexplicable irrationality that can only be quelled with force. Yeah, we kind of already touched on a lot of that lot stuff. Of it, yeah. The loss of culture, though. What do you what do you think he means by that? Uh, what was the context? It was at the very beginning. Um, he stated that you know there was a loss of of culture, and it kind of, I think he was getting at how it kind of leaves everybody with nothing to fall back on. So. I don't know. In my readings, like in some of the international relations literature, um, like it's, it's basically kind of like there's like several like sources of identity mm-hmm. um, and like neoliberal capital kind of like homogenizes us, right? Like and kind of strips us of our individuality while con- telling us that like we need other things to make us individual. We were just talking about products. Okay. Right. Like senses of fashion, like, and that's totally fine. Like decorating your body is like, is very human. I mean, they didn't choose it, but birds have decorated their bodies through evolution. Right. Like, right. so um, there's nothing wrong with decorating your body, but like the kind of like, you know, consumer consumerism as identity um, or, I drive the big fucking lifted pickup truck with a big, big tailpipe that blows freaking black soot on everybody. Like that's part of my identity. Or I go to the rodeo and I drink big plastic cups of Bud Light or whatever. Like we kind of seek these things. And I think what he says when like the lack of culture or culture being crushed, is it like there's a global economic order that like, suppresses anything that doesn't serve its end and Mm. so a lot of the things that we can find pride in is like you know and i my old roommate which you know because that's how we met each other um he once said that white people have no culture and this is as a, a chicano man right yeah like um white people have no culture and i was like i do have a culture like I just don't like, and it's okay that I have a culture. It's just, you don't see it because you're looking at culture through like an ethnic lens, like a quinceanera or like, you know what I mean? Like these kind of like rites of passages and other things like that. Well, we had those, it was called, you drag a keg down to the river and you (laughs) get hella smashed and hook up with, fucking any chick that's there because that's all you got like you live up in the mountains there's there's not a lot of them three of them (laughs) there's all all three you try to try and hook up with all three um but anyway like i i think that's maybe what he's getting at i'm not positive 
there's definitely kind of an element of identity. And um, I mentioned like the big trucks and yeah. the American flag. Like that's not always like originating from like, oh my God, I will do everything. I will die for this country. I will kill for this country. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is literally just an aesthetic. It's right. Like, right. And so we, we, we cling to these things rather than just being an individual. When you ask most people or when most people like they'll preface their politics with, well, I'm a conservative. So mm. that's, that's, that's an identity they've created around like the way they think. And then it's hard to break out of that because like you surround yourself with in your social group to feel that kind of, you know, um, sense of belonging that's important to our psychological well-being okay. is built around that does that so, make sense yeah and so it'd be very similar to how people who like leave a particular a religion or a particular church might find themselves with no social support or anything like that and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. What, what do they turn to for meaning after that and um uh i mean depression a lot of suicide <laughs> uh, a lot of yeah alcoholism yeah um, and that's the same thing, right? With people who've been stripped of their dignity because they lost their job and their housing, you know, um, and then they wind up on the streets and then, then they turn to substance abuse to kind of just like numb the pain. And what else are you going to do if I would do? Right. Shit, right. right. If you were on the streets, yeah, I'd probably want to do drugs too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I shit, if I have nothing to do all day, like I can see myself drinking all day. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, um, do I mean I'm a little, I've, I've matured past that because yeah. there was a time when I probably drank most of the day, but like, I've never been a pop up first thing out of bed and crack a beer person though i've never no the beer's already open from last night you just reach over and still even then no Mm -mm. no no Mm -hmm. and i had a friend we'd go out and work on the farm and he'd be like oh you want some wine and i'm like bro it's like fucking 9 30 tips the bottle up and i'm like (laughs) no no dude i have a hard like that's just part of me trying to be responsible it's like i don't generally have a drink before seven if i went out to like lunch or something like when you came to visit and we were out having sandwiches it was like two in the afternoon i think Mm -hmm. i had a glass of beer but like yeah i generally keep my drinking towards the evenings yeah and you know uh our friend wasn't entirely wrong about you know white people not having culture because like i'm not irish american i'm not german american i'm not british american Mm -hmm. i'm american i'm white american I, I like literally have no connection to any European culture. It, it wasn't taught to me and I don't care to reclaim it. You know, I don't want to, I'm not one of those 23 and me people that wants to find out, you know, wh- uh, where I came from. And Which dead people reclaim. do you belong to? Exactly. I don't want to like <laughs> reclaim my past and be like, Oh, look at all the glory I had in the past. Like it, 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 It's of no interest to me. And so like, yeah, I, I literally have no culture except that which I form myself. I don't have a religion, so I don't have any built-in culture there, you know? So it's just, for me, it, my culture is whatever I choose to make it. I don't have a big old, you know, I don't have a big old truck, but I do have a fast ass computer, you know, and I find, you know, yeah. I, I find fulfillment in that. And it's actually, you know, to me, it's a useful thing and yeah. it, you know, helps me do this sort of thing. And, and so I find culture, I kind of make my own culture because I don't have any. I think, I think it exists in subtle ways that you're unaware of. Like, um, because I mean, culture is just like a set of like norms, expectations, and behaviors that we might. Have. I mean, it's a culture to brush your teeth and shower every day. I did grow up in the valley, so I got that going for me. 
but not the San Fernando Valley. You grew up in the Central Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wherever, wherever my hometown is, I don't. I don't know see, I didn't. See, I didn't. I didn't do dirt bikes. I didn't have guns. I didn't have yeah. like, you know, a lot of the things that people around me had. Like we had the river. That was part of my culture. That's why we, yeah. I call my, I you know, call myself a hippie Billy, because I was a hillbilly, but I was a hippie. So like, yeah. we're the guy, the guy, people wearing. Birkenstocks and tie dye and going down to the river and and fishing or smoking weed or whatever, right? Just like hanging out. Um, so I mean, that's a that's a culture, right? They always say subcultures, right? Mm -hmm. People that listen to EDM is a culture. You go into like if I went into like a, a rave or something, like and people are listening. Everybody's like, "Oh my god, you don't know this guy? He's the greatest!" And it's like, "Oh my god!" If someone sees a T-shirt and they're like, "I love that band!" Oh my god! It's like everybody's got their own thing. And I That's think true, we, yeah. we were talking about religion early. Everybody just needs to be a little bit more like Jesus, man. Just like, fucking, whatever, if that floats your boat, that's fine. You know, yeah. like, I'm not into it. Don't ask me to be into it, but like, yeah, cool. that's, that's the most important thing is like, keep it to your damn self. Yeah. <laughs> religion is like your penis. It's okay that you have it and that you're proud of it, but don't it's stick fun. it in my kid's face. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen that bumper sticker. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking um, is there another clip of this or are we about done uh that was that was the third and the fourth clip i mean okay, we could no that's water, totally fine. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's no i really just yeah i mostly wanted to get that kind of context of like this anxiety is real mm -hmm. and it's not a fiction it's not a conspiracy that the system is not delivering right. um and I guess the mo more important aspect is this is not going to get better. Like this is the end of the American empire. Um, I mean, shit, China and Russia are talking so that China can buy Russian oil so that their economy doesn't fucking collapse. Mm -hmm. And then they're talking about trading oil in fucking the Chinese currency. Ooh. If that happens, it's the end of the fucking petrodollar. Yeah, skipping right over the because if China says no, I'm only going to buy oil from Australia, which where they get they get a lot of coal um, and some oil from Australia. The Chinese do. Mm -hmm. um, they get it from fucking wherever they can get it, right? They're right, right. right. Well, they need power. a shit ton of it. Yeah, that's actually, and you know, whenever we do our our energy, you know, economy, talk about China. Uh, yeah. Oh no, I I I I got into some Chinese stuff, and you know, their renewables and everything, and I'm just like, this is fascinating. And oh no, like, but, they, but Chris had just said earlier. Sorry, uh, finish your thought. I cut you off. Oh, I was just they're managing to do amazing things that, like, you know, the rest of the world is unwilling to do because they don't want to be reliant on other countries. You know, they're just like, fuck other countries. We're going to do everything we can to remain independent. Well, and Chris had just said it at the beginning of the first clip, right? Mm -hmm. Is it like countries that don't have empires? can invest in their people and in their future. Mm -hmm. We have not been able to do that. And God, is it evident? Oh, because yeah. we don't even have, we don't even have fucking a high speed. Like I get that. Like we're a big country. I don't think it's economically feasible and, or like a good use of resources to try and connect this entire continent by high speed rail. However, yeah. you should at least have high speed rail from fucking richmond to boston yeah you know yeah. what i mean because that's where a fuck ton of people and you should have a high speed rail connection that goes from chicago across the great or across the great lakes ohio cleveland and all that shit all the way to connect the, the east coast yeah or like, more locally between los angeles and uh, san francisco you know 
we we voted on that how many years ago and it still hasn't it became a thing like, it, oh, and, and that was a huge, a huge political wedge for right wingers, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't even get into the fucking state of Jefferson. We just spent an hour and a half talking about fascism, <laughs> and like, you know, uh, it could happen here, which is a popular podcast. Highly yeah. recommend them uh, listen to that podcast on their uh, episode on um, basically the Second American Civil War, and that's ultimately the end game of a lot of this anxiety and othering and all that shit is like inevitable like had just said it's going to fucking end up being violent so like you know uh the we have the state of jefferson here secessionist movement hates it the train was just like and they were right because they're like why am i gonna fucking pay more in taxes i ain't never gonna fucking ride your train and that's yeah. fair and i think that ultimately like there's a question here that's beyond the scope of this conversation about how can we peacefully balkanize because this country is too fucking big. And without yes. the empire supplying like a constant stream of fucking plunder from the global south, like we mm -hmm. won't be able to hold it together. So we might as well just be like, hey, it was good while it happened. How can mm -hmm. we break this into units that are more responsive to democratic process mm -hmm. um, and that can focus on developing their own internal economies while maintaining a network of trade amongst them? Um how can we do this peaceably and um, as intentionally as possible? Because it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. We might as well uh, is it jump the shark, get ahead of the get ahead of the curve. I don't know, whatever the fucking <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. But I think I think we're at time. Do you have a final closing thought? Um, no, just just uh, just to agree. You know, having you know, driven the entire country very recently twice and. It, it, it is 14 hour days, four of them at 80 miles an hour. This country is fucking huge and it is very disparate, you know, socially and culturally. And you can just watch it happen as you travel across the country. So yeah, that it's too damn big. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could even just do a whole episode. Cause there are people who've talked about that and done like animated maps and stuff like that. We could do a whole episode on just talking about, how would we balkanize? Like, how would we divide the country? Because I've always joked about the uh, confederated communes of California and Cascadia, mm -hmm. which would basically be like parts of um, uh, British Columbia mm -hmm. and Washington and Oregon and part of California with the southern part of California, the desert regions in the Los Angeles basin, mm -hmm. probably its own thing. How would the um, taxes work is, is what always got me because everybody talked about the state of Jefferson and I'm just like, what is your tax base? Oh, no, no. They'd have a they It's a fantasy. I've been oh, okay. in those circles because like I also believe in balkanization. Yeah. Um, but like it's a fucking fantasy there. And because I literally was like, you realize that Kansas did this, right? And the voters like got pissed like in in local elected officials that had to deal with like trying to administer a state that had no funding had to raise taxes so they tried this whole tax holiday bullshit in the land of the Koch brothers right in fucking kansas and it failed miserably and the people were pissed and it was a good experiment to have at that scale because then a smaller number, sorry, they got hurt. I don't wish that upon them. It's not their fault. They don't deserve it. None of that fucking condescending bullshit shit libs say. Yeah. Like, but they thanks don't for the lesson. It, but it provided a good example. Yeah. And that's what, you know, having a, 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 a states 
was supposed to provide was everybody could do things right. a little bit different and then provide model policy. Um, yeah. I prefer a confederal model and a less centralized uh, state government. And maybe we can have that again once there's no more need for empire. Because remember, from the very beginning, this country was an empire. Yeah. It fought oh, yeah. indigenous genocide and pushed west with its manifest destiny. And as soon as we got to the fucking, as soon as we got to the San Francisco Bay, it was like Philippines, Cuba. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and all that, of that is. Shit. For me, that's what makes all the talk about China and the other human rights violations and stuff. It's like, uh, America, watch, watch yourself, like, because you did the same damn thing, and maybe you need to analyze yourself. <laughs> exact fucking thing I said about Ukraine, too. It's like, well, it's not like the United States provides the best example of behaving rationally in the international system. Yeah, very true. Very true. <laughs> you know, do as I say, not as I do, doesn't mm -hmm. fucking hold up when you got fucking nukes. Right. No. But that's a conversation for another day, my friend. Oh, um, at the end of American Empire, Liberty Die. With thunderous applause. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, thumbs up, whatever. I don't I'll know. Link, I'll link your notification bell. I'll link Check your uh, your what you call it, your, your 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 TikTok. <laughs> oh yeah, whatever, man. If people want to watch me fucking talk about weeds, I was talking about yeah. broadleaf plantain today. Weeds and bugs, man. <laughs> weeds and in, in, insects, my friend. Bugs, bugs are specifically a subset of the Hemiptera order. True bugs. Okay. Good to know. Anyway, much love, my friend. We'll talk to you next week, and hopefully, somebody watches. Bye bye. I hope so. Peace. <laughs> bye. Bye.